the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball. We're back with me introducing the episodes, which I think is probably very grating to human beings who listen and are like, why does this guy yell right out of the gate every time? Uh, but I do. And I get uh, excited about it. And uh, alongside is the much more uh, human voiced intro guy, Sam Dykstra. Well, I say alongside. He's across the country from me. Hi, Sam. Yeah, when you say human voiced, it just makes me seem much more normal and like you're not, not professional. You're not AI. <laughs> no, I just <laughs> no, think it makes me sound meant. like I'm the normal dude off the street, which is much <laughs> closer to the truth, let's be honest. Like when I'm introducing the show the last two weeks, I'm trying to do an impersonation of you. Well, and don't do that. Nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody wants more of me. When I'm gone, I'm imagining people are like, this is fantastic. Well, when I was doing it last week, I was just like, okay, so I'm, I'm the one starting with the energy. It's not just like, hey, everybody, welcome. <laughs> it in. is true. You have to bring the energy. That is yeah. true. That's, uh, you know, can't can't slough off in that regard, Sam. But no, you did fantastic work, buddy. Uh, I mean, I was with you last week. I don't know why I'm talking like I've been out of this show for a month, but uh we're excited to get rolling again on this week's episode of the show before the show we got a lot coming up for you thanks for joining us for what is this 399 this is 399 yeah smokes the 399th episode of the show before the show podcast which means next week number 400 the week after that is actually a special one so next week you know it's it's special obviously yeah, but, next week we're gonna we're gonna try to bring on Josh Jackson and Kelsey Hannigan and do yeah. our annual like season preview stuff where we make we're a bunch of predictions that end up being wrong. Right. And, Obviously. Uh, Always. But, you know, otherwise a memorable segment every year. And, and now then, it's got a big number attached to it. It does, and now it has a big number attached to it. And then uh 401, we'll be talking with some fans. We'll be getting you set for the start of the minor league baseball season, all of that. Um, we'll be diving into the start of the minor league baseball season at that point. And uh Man, it's hard to believe that uh, we are finally at this stage of the can't even really call it the offseason anymore as spring training continues to roll along. You can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mond. Uh, we will be a little bit light-handed today uh, with Benjamin Hill out for this episode, but uh, Josh Jackson will stop by a little while later for Ghost of the Miners and the greatest international baseball tournament in history is now in the books. The World Baseball Classic wrapping up this week with the showdown of showdowns. Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout to wrap up the World Baseball Classic. Uh, It is so cliche to say, ah, man, it was like a Hollywood movie script, but it really is the type of thing that I think if you wrote that into a script, people would have been like, that's a little obvious. It's a little cheesy. Um, But it really happened. We saw Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in the same at bat against each other. It When it went to 1-0, I turned to the guy next to me, my buddy Jake, and I said, this is going to go to a full count. Like, you just know <laughs> it's going to go to a full count. All of the drama of the greatest world baseball classic ever played was going to come down to one pitch between literally the two best players on the planet. And it did in Japan won. It was incredible. Uh, man, what, what an event and what a statement for international baseball uh, for some of the the young and upcoming talent in baseball, as well as some of the established greats in baseball, adding to their legacies. Um, I cannot say enough good things about, uh, about this 2023 classic. Yeah. I mean, I know we're a minor league baseball podcast, but we are a baseball podcast. And this was one of the biggest events to happen to baseball with a capital B uh, on 
biggest and on baseball uh, that we've seen maybe in our lifetimes. It really felt like a turning point. And even in my interview later uh, with Lehigh Valley president, Kurt Landis, like we touched on a little bit of that, of like, what is going to be the ramifications of the WBC? What is the tale of this event going to be? We're still very much in its wake right now, but thinking about that at bat and thinking about everything that went into it. I remember John Morosi tweeting, you know, friend of the show, he's been on the show before, um, John Morosi tweeting, like, I just envision it. Otani's going to come in for the save. He's going to face Mike Trout and the world's going to go nuts. And the fact that it happened with two outs in the, like, it was the final at bat the of this The final tournament. at bat of the best tournament yet. Yeah. It it couldn't have happened. And the fact that Otani was bringing his best stuff. I mean, the location on those fastballs was not great. Let's be honest. It was dead red, but yeah. they were challenge pitches. Especially the second fastball, which yeah. was 100 miles an hour, middle, middle. And Mike yeah. Trout just missed because it's, it's tough to sit on that. I mean, there was an interview with Mike Trout from last year's all-star game. Right. And saying like, you guys have never faced each other ever. Like not in a backfields game, not wherever. What, how do you envision that going? And Trout's just like, well, we'll see, you know, we've, we've never even tried it. I'd be worried because you sit a hundred and then he's going to throw the splitter. He didn't throw the splitter. He threw the, the sweeper. The yeah. sweeping slider at 87 miles an hour. Yeah. Just on the outside corner, which you, if you're trout, it may have been outside, but you can't not swing at that. Right, exactly. Because it's That's starting the on the inner third right. and sweeping to the outer corner. You can't lay off that pitch. The, there's nothing worse. I mean, talk to Carlos Beltran, right? You can't sit and watch a pitch go by to yeah. strike three in yeah. that moment. You have to be giving it your all. But that pitch is so difficult to hit because the way it's moving, because the way you're sitting fastball. Mike Trout had a great quote afterwards saying he got round one which immediately made me think of Rocky three. Yep. Like the end of that where, or just the Rocky franchise in general, right. With Apollo Creed and then Rocky coming back for the sequel and winning the second time around. And then they actually have a fight behind closed doors. Like I would love to hear later that Otani and trout now just like, let's have it out. I want to see it again. I want to see it again. Just linking up in Tempe. They're going to flip the lights on. It'll be like a, an old time uh, sports center commercial where Trout and Otani are just going to work on a backfield at uh, Tempe Diablo stadium and demanding that the lights are on so they can, uh, they can continue playing into the night. That sounds outstanding actually. Yeah. And then the neighbors are going to be like, we heard a loud thwack. Was that the bat or was that the glove? And neither of them ever tell. We never know who got round two. It's just, it was so fun. It was so much fun to watch. And the fact that it came down to those two, was exactly what the sport needed. Um, and to see both sides be perform as well as they did because the, the MLB side, I mean, many people were saying, like, was the best lineup ever created. And that's missing some guys, too. Yeah. Um, go up against the Japanese side, which I don't think many Americans knew about. Yeah. I mean, like, Sasaki is now not a household name, but is something that a lot of people are going to be paying attention to now. Yeah. Because he's a, such a young pitcher who's throwing 102. Like, you're the second he goes up to be posted, whether that's going to be like Otani as part of like the international signing, or if it's as a full fledged free agent in a few years, every team's going to want a piece of that. Every team's going to be in on it and try to talk him into signing. Um, that's how superstars are made on a stage like that. And anybody who's out there saying, Oh, this whole thing's made up. It doesn't matter. Everything's made up. Man. Right. Here's the thing about sports that I hate to break to you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've been reading about soccer for a little while now in a book that I very much enjoy and was referenced on Ted Lasso this week, if anybody watched it, uh, Inverting the Pyramid. And it's just about the history of soccer tactics. And 
one of the things that comes up about it and the more you learn about like world cup history, it was just a tournament made up by folks. Right. Just being like, we want to find out who's the best nation in the world for the longest time. England didn't want to participate. Cause they were like, this is our sport. How dare you say we're not the best. Why right. would we rub elbows with you until it became so big that England was like, okay, now we have to prove we're good. And they didn't do that until 1966. I think we're kind of in that spot now where for these first couple tournaments, yes, the U S has won one. And big guys like Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt competed now, but there's still some, some hindrance on it. There's still some, like, we don't want to participate. We don't want to have something freak happen. And now everybody I'm sure who was on the outside looking in, was like, I want in, Right. I want to be playing playoff style baseball, playoff style, international baseball in March. It was like how amped must Trey Turner be right now? Yeah, exactly. Um, it was, I mean, just an absolutely incredible uh showcase for baseball. And I think you're right. And it is interesting to look back on the history of the World Cup because I think USA baseball uh as an institution, of course, embraced the World Baseball Classic, but American players have not until I would say the last two. And really, you know, it's and I've said this on some interviews this week and talking with people. It was the great gamble of Major League Baseball that they could put this event on and make it so good that they would get players to become their recruiting force. And when players went back to other players after taking part in the World Baseball Classic and the word started to get around of what an incredible experience it was, that's what started to make this thing tenable. And now you see over the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, especially uh, dating back even to 2013, but especially 2017, you see Mike Trout is the perfect example. He was watching those guys celebrate in 2017 when they won. And the only thing he could think was I should be there and I'm not. And I missed out, uh, which is why he committed for this time around and why he said going into the championship game uh, on Tuesday, he basically verbally committed for next time around. Now, obviously a lot can change in three years, but that's incredible. And then after it was over, he said it was the most fun 10 days that he's ever had playing baseball. And if that buy-in did not exist between uh, the players and the event, I don't think we'd be having a World Baseball Classic anymore. But the fact that the players now embrace it and it is becoming something that is a very legitimate stamped event on the international sports calendar is massive for baseball. Baseball can do a lot of things to grow in the U.S. And obviously we're seeing some rule changes and things that are meant to appeal to, to different subsections of fans and all that. And I think anything that moves the game forward, I am all for. But the biggest place where baseball can expand is internationally still. And now you see countries like the Czech Republic that will not have to qualify in 2026. They're already in, which means increased uh, prize money from their 2023 World Baseball Classic participation, increased funding for national programs, increased government support uh, for getting baseball into schools or being able to be helped out with building facilities. Uh, great Britain baseball is in that same boat. Panama, which experienced somewhat of a lull in its baseball uh, fortunes over the last several years and sort of coincides with a spike in Panama's soccer fortunes. Now Panama gets to go back to its young athletes and say, hey, we're still here producing tremendous talent. Come be part of this. Um, those things are incredible. And they all tie back in to the things that we know and love about following prospects because so many guys 
either get discovered in the World Baseball Classic. You know, you mentioned Roki Sasaki and what an incredible talent he is. Uh, Sasaki already being somebody who was playing professionally elsewhere. The amount of people that I got texts from that were like, hey, what's the story with this guy? When can he come over to the U.S.? Um, that's incredible. There are also young talents who have been playing, uh, you know, either with other national teams or coming up in other national team programs. Then now look at the World Baseball Classic and think, I want to be part of that. I want to continue taking part in this route in my international experience to get to that stage eventually. And um, once they do that or before they do that, you might be talking about them in your favorite team system. Uh, And so it's just... I, as a a World Baseball Classic nerd, I have been obsessed with this event since it started. And to see it now flourishing the way it is after this one is just, I could not have crafted a better best case scenario. And I don't think anybody else could have either for this one. Yeah. And kind of picking up what you were saying there, like, I wonder what the Lars Nupar effect is going to be of Lars Nupar, who has the reverse Otani. Yeah. Has Japanese heritage through his mother decides to represent that side of his family. And we've seen this in other places. South Tommy Freelich. Edmund went to Korea, right? Tommy Edmund went to Korea. Yeah. South Freelich, more of an actual prospect, but like playing for team Italy, maybe there's going to be these, even it's going to trickle down, right? There's going to be these top 100 prospects who are like, what teams am I eligible for? Right. Cause USA is going to get more crowded. There's not going to be as many opportunities there. Where else can I get in on this? And how can I find success for this? Harry Ford, another perfect example. Of course. Uh, You know, and a guy who I remember you and I, when Harry Ford got announced to that roster, you and I were texting like, what is Harry Ford's connection to Great Britain? Because we didn't really know yet. Um, And then we found out not only is his father British, his father lives in London. His grandparents both live in London. And um, these are stories that, you know, cynics will look at it and think, ah, Harry Ford, what is his connection to Great Britain? Uh, Talking to Harry Ford uh, in Germany for the qualifiers last year, these guys, this stuff is really important to these guys. If you look at your family, you know, taking my family as an example, my family is Italian-American. My mom's grandparents came over from Naples in the late part of the 19th century, early 20th century. And if I had the opportunity to honor my grandparents or my great-grandparents who made the sacrifice of coming over to give their family and give, by extension, me the life that I have now, what a tremendous honor that would be. And for yeah. all these people who say, yeah, well, it's not, there's no connection here. There's no point to this. This is dumb. Um, I just, I don't really have any sympathy for you. If you don't want to experience an event as good as this, that's fine. You are missing out. Uh, and, and that's, that's your problem. That's not our problem. Uh, because I think 2023 showcase that the world baseball classic is not only here, but it is here to stay. Um, and it's an incredible venture that major league baseball should be tremendously proud of. And I'm really excited to see where the next edition goes selfishly, because I hope I'll be, uh, on the call for it again, but really just to see what the next step for international baseball is. Right. And also what is the next step for major league baseball? Because The, the next one's not until 2026, which right. is closer than, you know, going from 2017 to 2023, but that's still three years until we're going to gonna get to experience this again. But the crowds we saw and how excited they were and how everybody yeah. leaned into their fandom and what baseball means to you as a Japanese per- person, like having songs for every individual batter or, you know, the Mexican team or the Dominican team or the Puerto Rican team, the way they celebrated the Venezuelan team, like, they got nuts with every at bat. And then all of a sudden you have Randy or Rosarena, like making the catches that he did for Mexico, which is a fascinating story that he plays for Mexico, but 
good for him. That's he wanted to represent them and they wanted him to represent them. Um, so he makes those catches. The ballpark goes crazy. Like maybe if that trout Otani matchup doesn't happen and the game's like five to two or something, we're talking about Rosarena forever. Right. How are we going to take those moments? Right. They, they can't be recreated over 162 games. I understand that regular season's completely different, but what can we bring from this? That's the next step here. What are we going to do to try to recreate this on a Saturday night in July? Yeah. Like allow fans to go crazy, allow players to lean into themselves and who they are and celebrate their home runs or celebrate their strikeouts. Um, I think this was a real turning point again, just to bring it back around to what I said, a a turning point in terms of baseball with a capital B and where we can go from here. This was so exciting. And I want to keep this momentum going as much as we can, which is why, you know, we're still talking about this a few days later and, and I'm sure we will be for weeks and months to come. Well, I obviously cannot be more in agreement with you on that. And uh, congratulations to everybody who uh, who took part in this. Every prospect, uh, every prospect fan, the people who really just uncovered international baseball for the first time. Um, this is a big deal, and it is a very exciting time to be a baseball fan. And uh, pretty thrilled, man, with the way this thing went uh, here in 2023, and can't wait for the next one. Uh, and you know, I mean, it's interesting because you're talking about uh, reading a book about the history of soccer and the World Cup and all that. Um, you sort of wonder, like, what was the sixth World Cup like from the FIFA perspective? You know, like these things, as weird as it is, these things don't happen in years. They happen in generations. And it takes an event like this uh, and to a lesser extent now, like 2017 and 2017 was an incredible classic and 2023 blew it out of the water. It takes events like this to stamp these institutions onto the sports calendar. And I think that's what 2023 is now. And we may not, you know, see in 2026 that it has the same level of worldwide interest as the FIFA World Cup. But you know what? There was a time when the FIFA World Cup had not yet broken through uh, to be the event that it was. The World Baseball Classic is on the way. And that's a that's a very exciting thing. Um, and it was just fun, man. It was just so much fun. It was such fun baseball. I and loved that's, it. You know what? Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, it's just fun, like something where you could sit back at the end of it and just be like, that was just fun. I don't need to break down everything that happened, although we can and we basically just did. It was just enjoyable to sit through for three hours. And, I'm with you. And more of that. And I, it, it makes me pumped for the season to come. I mean, we're we're a week away here from from AAA returning from the major leagues returning, of course, two weeks away from minor league opening day. Um, there's going to be more stuff like ha- that happens like this minor league baseball. There's 60 games a night. It's the wide swath of crazy things that can happen is out there. Um, And this was the perfect lead into the season for me. So we've got so much more to come as I open up the uh, MLB shop and take a look at what hats are still available on MLB.com. But Sam, we're, uh, we're talking hats. We're talking Copa identities. We're uh, getting so close to the start of the season uh, and we're going to discuss a lot of Copa today. Tee up what we got rolling here. Yeah, I mean, if if we're going to talk the WBC, we already have an international flavor. We might as well keep that rolling with Copa. It, we just ha- happened to be in a Copa reveal week. Um, all the logos, new, old, recurring, refreshed uh, logos for the Copa de la Diversión came out on Tuesday uh, of this week. So in our interview segment here, it's going to be me talking with, like I said earlier, Lehigh Valley president and GM, Kurt Landis, who's been in the industry for a very long time, has been in 
Lehigh Valley with the Iron Pigs since they began uh, a, few, a few years ago. Uh, but the reason why we're talking to him is because Lehigh Valley this year has not one, but two Copa identities, the Koki and the Mama Juana. And we'll talk a little bit about why they have two and what's the difference between the two and where things go from here with Copa, uh, with Kurt Landis here coming up next. Well, we're very pleased this week on the show before the show as we dig into Copa identities and the Copa reveal for this week to be joined on the podcast this week by Lehigh Valley President and GM Kurt Landis. Kurt, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing? Great, Sam. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. And, uh, you know, one reason we wanted to bring you on is because as we're digging into this Copa stuff, the, one of the first things that stood out to me is a lot of these teams have one identity that they're attaching to their Copa Knights. You guys have two this year. You guys expanded. You had the Koki, which is a Puerto Rican uh, allusion to the frog of Puerto Rico. But this year you're expanding to Mama Juana, which is a Dominican Republic drink. And I want to get into the specifics of that in a bit. But just take us through first your decision to have two identities, not just focus in on the Koki again or change the Koki, keep that, but add a new one. Sure. I, you know, I think the overall concept of having a Hispanic heritage night or series, the Copa series, or, or really anything that you do in your local ballparks is to try to forge a, a genuine connection with your, with your fans, your population. And when we first got involved with, with the Copa and Hispanic heritage nights and the theme night identities, probably five years ago, you know, we, we were really hyper-focused on our local population, which was predominantly Puerto Rican that made up our uh, local Latino population, Latino population. Uh, what we found is that over the last five years, the Dominican population within the Lehigh Valley has, has really grown significantly. And, you know, with the mindset of trying to have that genuine uh, connection to your fans, we kind of felt like we were missing a segment of the market that if you're if you're Hispanic but not Puerto Rican, you felt left out. And so within our market, obviously Puerto Rican's a large aspect of the Hispanic community, but we were missing out on a large segment with the Dominican Republic and, and those from the Dominican. So it was great to work hand in hand uh, with a local Dominican radio station, uh, a number of uh, local individuals from the Dominican community and to put together a brand that we thought would be fun. And, and you just don't want to come up with like, all right, what's, you know, what's something from Dominican. You, you were looking for something unique and fun and different uh, a story to tell much like what we did with the iron pigs 15 years ago, something that's fun and tells a story that's uh, bold and unique. And I think we found that with mama Wana. Yeah. And what, what was it about Mama Juana? Because for anybody who isn't Dominican or hasn't been down there, it's it's a drink. And it's an alcoholic drink. Uh, involves rum, red wine, honey, some tree bark, some herbs. It's kind of like tea mixed with alcohol a little bit, uh, but it's super popular down there. But why that? I mean, Dominican culture is so big. Why hone in on that specific thing? I know food culture is big across minor league baseball now. So I think you got a little bit of a Venn diagram going on there. But how did you guys land on Mama Juana specifically? Well, you know, you, you talk locally with representatives and there's, there's lots of things about any country that makes it great. It's so hard to pick one character or one event or one activity or one name, but you really want to say, hey, when, you know, when you talk about a memory from the Dominican or you talk about something that's really uh, unique, 
we look for something that people go, oh my gosh, you know, only in the Dominican, only in the Dominican. And that's the kind of main question we ask is if, if there's something that you say, only in the Dominican would we do that. And you kind of laugh at yourself. That's the primary question we ask, because I think that leads to the best story and that people have a, a pride in, even though it's not the national flag or, you know, whatever might be the case. And we found that with Mama Juana, and we started asking questions of what, what's Mama Juana? Um, and you hear him tell about it. And what clinched it for, for us is they're talking about it, it's used as a as an aphrodisiac, you know, um, and, and for virality. And it kind of got uh, a little bit of a, uh, a pop culture reference in terms of you know, this is something that you would you would, you would drink to bring fortitude if it's men or women or what might be the case, kind of like Popeye and his spinach. Um, so it really became something fun, and that kind of clinched it for us. This is the right the right item that's unique, bold, funny, and it's very specific and unique for for Dominican. Yeah, and just going back into that. The idea that you guys chose a food identity. I mean, you guys have a history of this, right? Between the bacon and the and the cheesesteak. How have you guys found success in just leaning into that part of a um a, a, an alternate identity? Yeah, I, I think we were on the forefront of food identities a long time ago when we went to uh bacon as a logo on a strip, a bacon strip on our hat, you know, to have a dead form of our own sows and our mascot on our hat, and that became successful. <laughs> Um, you know, and back in the day, we did that. In the next year, uh, Fresno adopted kind of the same mindset, and they came out with tacos. And I think bacon and tacos really became the start of a long line of successful um, food identities. And that's something we're very proud of, being on the, on the forefront of that. But when you can, you know, I, I don't think food was, we were trying to go to food when it came to this concept with Dominican Republic. I think that became more natural, uh, but certainly as we started to develop it, we recognized that people are very um, prideful of their country's food or their the region or their ethnicity's food. It's a big part of who they are. Um, and so I thought we had you know a really good idea. Uh, we partnered with Brandios, which we have before on a number of projects. I think they really captured well the spirit of what we were looking for really happy with the the logo that we have and the design uh and so far it's been it's been a home run to be honest uh, we've had a great start to, to sales and merchandise but most importantly it's been fun to have local individuals uh reach out and just say this is incredible because this is about this is what Dominican Republic is about this is oh yeah my my mom has this in her cupboard or or we vacation there, and this is such an incredible thing. You saw that in all the stores, so you can see and hear the pride coming from from people already. Yeah, and I feel like we should describe what the Mamawana logo looks like at this point. It's it's a bottle of Mamawana, an anthropomorphized version of it. It's got glasses on. It looks like it's going to the beach. It's carrying an umbrella that also looks like a bat over its shoulder. Very brandios design in that way. Uh, and, you know, part of the appeal, too, I feel like, and we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, is there's some national appeal to this, too, right? Like, it's great to have that local engagement and the Dominican community around Lehigh Valley is super psyched about it. But, like, Mama Juana is something that doesn't exist on the Copa sphere right now. And that's, that you could get people in Florida, Texas, Washington State buying into it. Have you heard any of 
that, you know, people pouring in from other areas too? Oh, oh we have, we've had orders from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if we hit 50 states yet. I'd have to ask my merchandise director where we're at, but we've we've had orders pouring in from all over the country. And it, it, listen, any good promotion is great because you, you focus on your your local community. That's 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 your your bread and butter. You do things that energize your local community. Those are people that buy tickets, come to the game. They live and breathe the Iron Pigs brand or the Mama Juana brand or the Coqui brand. It's very important to them. Uh, they have a pride in coming to Coca-Cola Park. But I think we've always, for the last 15 years, whenever we introduce a theme night or a promotion, uh, all right, what can we do to maybe stir the pot a little bit or have maybe an eye towards trying to have this promotion goal national? And it's, it's not just sent out to your same local media list and hoping it catches on or gets picked up by the right news station. You know, in this day and age, it's about trying to reach the correct influencers for, you know, Puerto Rican culture or Dominican culture or Philadelphia culture or food or, you know, so anything that we do really takes a lot of uh, hard work and, and brainstorming and time to say, all right, beyond Lehigh Valley, you know, here's what we have to do to be successful with this brand locally. If it's Iron Pugs or John, you know, whatever might be the case. But if we're to be successful on a national level, or at least try to, what are the things that we'd have to do or get in front of? And, and that's really what separates the, the, the good and great promotions from being incredible ones. And, and hopefully, knock on wood, it's a great start. We might have an incredible one under our belts with Mama Wana. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly looking at some of the engagement of your guys' tweet that announced it. it there are a lot of people saying, like, I have to buy this hat immediately, which is exactly what you want. Um, I also don't want to give the Koki like a short shrift here. You guys have had this logo set since 2019. It's obviously very colorful. The Koki is a very colorful frog, also a very loud one for anybody who's never been to Puerto Rico. Uh, try going to sleep at night close to a forest. You're going to hear Koki over and over and over again. Um, but you guys started this one in 2019, which was a very early stage of Copa. How do you feel like it's evolved or not evolved? Like, why, why has have you guys really locked into this as the primary Copa set? Yeah, you know, it, it's certainly been the primary. I expect it to be the primary this year just because we're doing it four times compared to two. I think the local Puerto Rican population still outnumbers the Dominican population for us. But each year it's grown. Um, and we... You see now on a Coquille night at the ballpark, a significant influence, a significant amount of the local Puerto Rican population that attends. Uh, you hear literally because for our PA and, and the music, you hear the Coquille throughout the <laughs> night. You know, and it's starting to, to take on a real life of its own. It's been a more slow, gradual build. Uh, but you're starting to see uh, when you go to like a soccer match, international soccer match, that level of intensity and waving flags and the music, the food, um, you know, we're, we're drawing, uh, this is a first really great step for us in drawing people consistently from the Hispanic or Latino population locally. And each year it gets better and better. You know, we, we now have our, our PA announcer is hundred percent Spanish on these nights and, and Spanish speaking. And again, trying to make it a genuine, um, Puerto Rican experience and, the more genuine you are with, with the product and the more that you make sure that you reach out as much of your entertainment package as possible. Um, 
it really adds to it. So yeah, Cookie's been incredible. Uh, people love the frog. And what we found uh, with the Cookie is we have just as many non-Puerto Rican or Hispanic community members buying the frog and the Cookie merchandise because they just find it adorable. <laughs> they, love, <laughs> they love the look. They love the, the logo. And I'm curious with Mama Juana, once our season starts up, um, right now it's it's almost all people that are very excited about the uh, Dominican pride, you know, but as the season kicks in, I know I feel confident because of the logo itself, we're going to see um, people from all backgrounds, all ethnicities, ethnicities, just find the logo adorable. They love the story behind it. And we're going to have that merchandise out across the country beyond certain backgrounds or, or from Puerto Rico or from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. And one thing I love about the Koki hat is just the pink nature of it with like the light blue. It's a combination you don't see traditionally in baseball because it, so much of it is red, white, blue, gray, black. This is, it pops so much more um, in a way that I think is some of the best parts of Copa generally. But you touched on something in terms of what the atmosphere can be like at a Koki night. We just were coming off the World Baseball Classic now. I think people saw those games in Miami, in Arizona, and how crazy they could be when, you know, Puerto Rico is going up against the Dominican Republic or it's the U.S. versus Venezuela. How can you guys as a minor league team kind of pick up that momentum with some of these nights? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you just can't say, hey, here's the food item of the night. You can't just say, uh, we're going to do one or two innings or between innings promotions. I think you have to go out to representatives from the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, from the Hispanic radio station, from as many connection points as possible, bring them together, share your vision, and then have them help you plan to get to that vision. And even then, like I mentioned with Koki, it's it's a bit of a process. You know, people are going to want to come out if they see that it's, it's genuine and what we're doing feels like home for them. Um, they don't want to come to an Iron Pigs experience. Not that the Iron Pigs experience is bad, but they're looking for an authentic connection that makes them feel like they're in Puerto Rico, you know, so, or in Dominican, as it were, with Mama Juana. And so when you have Spanish speaking PA and Spanish music, and not just from, you know, here and there, you, you, you got to go all in. We've got 75 games. Um, so dedicate four or six nights. You know, it's people feel like, hey, that they've, they've dedicated this to us and it feels good. It's not just lip service because we're trying to sell tickets or merchandise. Um, and that's, again, you know, it's authentic. And when it's authentic and you plan together and not just say, hey, we've planned this for you come on out, you know, but you've planned together. That's really what turns the tide. Yeah. And, and well, we'll end on this one, Kurt, as somebody who's been in minor league baseball, not just in Lehigh Valley for since the beginning of the iron pigs, but you've been in minor league baseball for three decades now. Uh, Copa is a, still a relatively new thing on the landscape. It's, it's been here for a little bit, but how do you feel like this has changed what minor league baseball is and can, can be this initiative as it's grown out in the last few years? Yeah, no, I think it's a great extension of what minor league baseball has always been. I think uh, it's been more formalized, which is great. And I think 
that formality to it of having a set program from minor league baseball and now major league baseball. It's easy to see um, what teams are doing from best practices, uh, but inherently, you know, our industry is about stealing ideas from others. You know, we, we got involved in, in COPA and I, and then I know this is an audio podcast, so I'm putting my fingers in quotation marks, but we got involved in COPA, not because of the, of COPA and magic baseball, but we saw a team, uh, you know, a team having success connecting to the local market. And we're all about theme nights and like, all right, you know, Hey, we've done German heritage night and Irish heritage night and Italian heritage night. But all of a sudden we saw a team or two be successful with this. And you look at why, and then Marling baseball has amplified that through the Copa program. So, but you know, it's, it's no different than, you know, we've talked about food identities, um, you know, team C, food identities and then they want to be successful with it so what's the what's the next thing that's successful um is it you know i i'm i'm excited to see major baseball start the nine project you know and and a better um connection with the african-american the black community and and there's things that are our industry have to do better at uh besides just playing baseball games and i think copa is a good it's a, it's a good representation of that. Yeah, no, for sure. And we're very excited to see it back out on the field everywhere across minor league baseball this year, but especially with you guys, if anybody's within driving distance of Allentown, hope you guys can make it out to a Koki or Mama Juana night or both see them both compare them both. Uh, or if you're not within driving distance, you know, check out their website, check out those hats because they are definitely very cool. They would be a excellent additions to anybody's hat collecting uh, collections, I guess. But, uh, Kurt, thank you so much for for being here and talking us through all this stuff. And uh, good luck with the the start to the season here in eight days is when, uh, as we're talking right now, is when AAA opening day is. So enjoy the rest of the quote unquote off season. You just gave me a heart palpitation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's right around the corner. It's hard to believe. Um, it's coming fast, very fast. So let's hope for 75 degrees and sunny uh, every day of the minor league baseball season. Amen to that. Thanks, Kurt. All right. Thanks, Sam. Huge thanks, as always, uh, to Kurt Landis for joining us. Kurt is one of the uh, the gentlemen in this sport, in this business of minor league baseball, and gets us fired up to talk Copa Identities here in 2023. Leon Valleys are pretty good, man, but we've got uh, a whole bunch to discuss for this uh, new campaign. And what we're going to do is we're going to go level by level, AAA, AA, the two Class A levels, and we are going to give you our favorites at each or at least discuss some of our favorites at each. Uh, Sam, would you uh, like to kick this off today? Yeah, I'll I'll start here uh, with the AAA level um, with some of my favorites from AAA. And, you know, we say favorites, you're all our favorites. Don't (laughs) Don't add us on Twitter. Why didn't you say us? There's just some of our favorites, some that pop off the Copa page, which is milb.com slash Copa. Go find your own favorite as you go through here. Um, you can find out some of the new logos for this year. Like I said, at the beginning of the show, some of the refreshed ones, some of your old favorites are still around. And that's that's been great to see some of these really be established identities throughout the years since Copa began. Um, but at AAA, I'm going to throw out two that I think, I, I think are just like pure Copa. When is the mariachis de Nuevo Mexico? Yeah. Nuevo Mexico. Nuevo Mexico. Nuevo Mexico. 
which obviously means New Mexico, but it's the Albuquerque isotopes and theirs and their identity. And the mariachis, it's just, it fits so well. It's a mariachi band, but it also has like the Sugar Skull logo. Uh, they changed their name. So it's not just Albuquerque, it's Nuevo Mexico. Um, so we're leaning it into a little bit of a different identity there as well. The red and black look, um, but there's so much you can do with the mariachis. You can bring in a mariachi band. Uh, the logo is kind of mean looking, but in a good way. Uh, I just, it, it's kind of stands to me what Copa should be of tapping into that local area. Um, you know, being in Albuquerque, being in New Mexico, they're right near the border. They're much closer than I am here in New York anyway. Uh, and there's going to be a, a big Mexican population there. What's something that that community really enjoys is its mariachi music. Being able to lean into that, I think, is exactly what Kobe should be. One of my other favorites uh, that I think I've mentioned on this podcast years ago when they first mentioned it or when it first came about. It may not be the best logo on here, although I do definitely enjoy the logo, but it's the Cielo Azul de Oklahoma City, which just means blue sky, which just leans into Oklahoma is a very flat place. You get a big blue skies, but it all, so they like to lean into the fact that they are a Dodgers affiliate. So there's some blue there as well, but Fernando Valenzuela, arguably, you know, the most famous Mexican pitcher to pitch of all time. What was his trademark? was looking in his right up yeah. looking straight back into the sky it, it might be a little bit of like a backwards definition of like we want to do the blue skies house can we but it, it works so well for that affiliate for that place the logo looks neat it's a nice color blue it's not you know i think one of the great things about copa is the different colors uh it's a move away from just the typical blue black red and gray and white so to get this kind of powder blue into Oklahoma city, I think is really special. And it just, it works for me on multiple levels. So those are the two that I immediately go to, which are both PCL clubs, but that's just the way it works. Tyler, what stands out to you about AAA? I do very much like both of those. Um, and certainly New Mexico is one that, uh, I know we've talked about a lot in seasons past preparing for the launch of Copa identities or the renewal of Copa identities. Um, I'm going to go to one that is, uh, a somewhat, tweaked and upgraded look and uh it's another one from a team that just can't miss as of late uh with their visual identity and that is the vihuelas of nashville and a vihuela is a classic mexican guitar and is typically of a higher pitch than the classic guitar that you might hear on broadway in nashville according to the team's description um the vihuelas logo is gorgeous. The lettering is gorgeous. Uh, they've got stylistic elements on the guitar, uh, including some very subtle baseball stitching, which is super cool. Uh, I love that one. I think it's great. And it, I very much enjoy teams that are able to, um, incorporate their normal identities without making it look forced. Uh, and I think that's what the sounds have done here. Like I said, the sounds over the last few years, man, that team cannot miss with their visual package, with their uh, identities, their uniforms, their logos, their merchandise. Uh, that is one of a bunch of really, really good looks uh, from Nashville. And so that's going to be my, uh, my AAA one. In addition to, you know, very much liking the ones that you also threw out there, Sam. Uh, let's go double A. What do you got in double A? Double A. Well, one we just have to get out of the way, right, is the San Antonio Flying Chonclas. Absolutely. What, Probably the most successful. I saw a guy in the airport in Miami wearing a Flying Chonclas hat the other day. I've seen it out and about as well. I mean, it's one of those that every time I think we post it from Milb, there are people who newly discover it. 
Yeah. Uh, and are just like, this is amazing. And there are people who it's already hit really well with. If you don't know, flying, flying chanclas is like a flying flip-flop. Um, it leans into the idea of, you know, your abuela uh, or, or your mom. Uh, if, if you get in trouble, you know, in certain communities, somebody's going to come at you with a flip-flop <laughs> and it's going to be the ultimate threat. Uh, and that plays really well in San Antonio. I know Shea Serrano, uh, who is a writer. Uh, he has a new show coming out. I know him from Grantland and The Ringer, but I think he works for other things now. Um, but when that came out, he's he's big in San Antonio. He's big in Texas. And he was just like, this is amazing. And when you know you hit with Shea Serrano, you know you've hit it pretty well. So the Flying Chonkless being back, I think, is one of the OGs of COPA. Um, like you said, Tyler, maybe the most successful uh, rebrand that's happened. But one that is new for 2023 that I think is great is the Pensacola Puck to Puck, uh, which Gerard Gilberto did a story for us on MILB.com about this. Puck to Puck is a Mayan ball game. It goes back, I think, 4,000 years. Yeah. The story said, where if you've never seen it before, go look it up on YouTube. It You're going to see it better than I can explain it, but it's basically got a hoop on the side of a wall. You can only use your hip to hit the ball. Um, you, so you're basically hip checking the ball every time you may have seen it in some of your literature growing up when you were learning about Mesoamerican cultures and, and uh, kingdoms and all that. But the fact that they are bringing that back very specifically, where they're like, what was a big sport from this region that is original to this region? I mean, everything that we talk about, soccer, baseball, Obviously, basketball being purely American, baseball being purely American, all of these things were kind of imported into Middle or Central America, the Caribbean, South America. This is something that's purely from that place. Yeah, and to honor that in the way that Pensacola has, I think is really cool. It's very original, um, and it's exactly what Copa should be. So check out that one. It's just a cool thought process and logo set. Um, and one other one that I think just looks cool. Is the Conadores de Binghamton? Yeah, that's another good one. You've seen that? It's just another very new colorful. one for this year. Yeah, it's a it's a condor, uh, you know, big bird coming out of Binghamton. It's a different thing than the Rumble Ponies. It's not just a straight uh, Spanish translation of what a Rumble Pony is, and it's just so colorful in a way that's going to pop really well, both on a jersey and a hat. Um, so those are those are three of my favorites from double a, but I could go very deep on this one. But Tyler, what do you got? Yeah, I was going to go with Pensacola because that one just hits uh, everything that you could want in a Copa identity. And the thing that I think I like most about that is they note in their summary, uh, that they actually were, uh, working with an artist from Mexico city to design that logo. And I think that's so cool. Um, and not only is it to honor the original sport, but part of the summary from the team, says it's also uh, an aim to be, quote, honoring the culture of over 11 million citizens of Latin America who speak indigenous languages today. I find that very, very cool. And it's something that probably a lot of people don't know. Not everybody in Mexico is speaking Spanish. There are regions of Mexico, there are regions of Central America uh, in which you go into places and they are speaking languages that have been spoken there for thousands and thousands of years. It's not just as simple as wandering into a place and assuming that they uh, only speak Spanish or people will speak English. That's amazing. Over 11 million people in Latin America speak those indigenous languages. Uh, and that is incredible to me. And it's very cool because I don't feel like that is an element that most people would choose um, that would grab you, I should say, right out as, oh, we should honor that. Uh, but that's a really cool thing. 
uh, for that team to have done in Pensacola. There's so many other good ones uh, at the AA level. And uh, I mean, really, there are good ones all across minor league baseball with the entirety of the the Copa initiative. Um, But that one was the one that certainly stuck out most to me for 2023. One that I really like that is a very, very slight change. Uh, Chattanooga in past Chattanooga has gone with essentially just a different colorway of its world famous two eyeballs logo, the Montañas this year, they did something very different and it's really simplistic, but it's just a lowercase letter M with kind of a gradient mountainscape in the background. Uh, and I think that's very cool. I mean, it, it pretty effortlessly echoes the lookouts identity, um, and really just the the landscape around Chattanooga and, you know, what originally brought people to that region uh, when Chattanooga was settled. So I like that one as well. That's a very, um, I don't want to say a, a subtle change, um, but it is a very seamless and classy looking upgrade for that logo. And another one that I've loved forever since it was unveiled, uh, Los Chivos of Hartford, uh, the goats, the Hartford Yard goats, of course, now the Chivos for uh, Copa. They've got a a sugar skull looking uh, goat head logo, which is incredible and it always has been. Uh, So that's that's double A for me. Um, Sam, the high A level, what do you got? Yeah, high A, you know, our original plan for this, if Ben was here, was we were going to do a draft and we were going to go through and pick one team from each level amongst ourselves. And this was going to be the toughest one to pick for me. So I'm kind of glad we switched the format because they have two of my favorites. And do you want to, I feel like we could count one, two, three, and we would say them at the same time. Yeah, probably. It's Hillsborough and Eugene. Yes, absolutely. Both of the Northwest (laughs) League, just because I think we've talked about that on the show. If you've listened to all 399 episodes, which is incredible if you have, Uh, but we've talked about these two ever since they started what they stand for, the Eugene Monarchus butterflies, Monarch butterflies, what they mean, because Monarch butterflies, uh, you know, they move from Mexico to the Oregon region. Like that's, they're just like immigrants in that way of, and the people who have immigrated from Mexico to Oregon. So honoring them in that way, I think is really special. And also the butterfly itself is a beautiful creature. Um, So not just being like, oh, you guys are immigrants, you're, you're something else. It's like, no, 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 you are beautiful in this way. And the logo reflects that it, it, it pops on a hat. It works really well. It tells a story. The other one is the Hillsborough Soñadores, which is like dreamers or dreams. And that's again, just, you know, we talk about like the dream act in this country and it's about people who came here sometimes against their will um, or came here as young children. And you belong here just as much like that. You have a dream to be here. You want to be part of the American dream but you still have a heritage from somewhere else. You are as welcome here as anybody else. And that leaning into that, I think, as part of COPA, um, because we are an international sport, as we've said plenty on this podcast, specifically this week, um, but also we are a sport that has people coming from the Dominican Republic, coming from Mexico, coming from Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Panama, Nicaragua, um, all these different countries. And they are coming here as part of their own dream to be major leaders. And a stop in Hillsborough is certainly part of that if you are in the uh, Diamondback system. So honoring that in this way with a, we should say, like, it's not just the concept of the logo. The the look itself is very cool. It's, it's so like a, good. I, I want to say it's a coyote uh, crying at the moon. Yeah. 
Yeah. But let me just read out the blurb here because it's pretty quick. Quote, dreams start in Hillsborough for players, fans, and Latino community members. Despite the risks and obstacles which lie ahead, we all dream of achievement and personal growth to help create a better tomorrow. We are all Sonia Doris. So again, I just love that message and it's perfect for that region. It's perfect nationally. Um, and I'm glad it's stuck around because sometimes these logos can go around for a while. You want to refresh something, you want to do something new. That's great. I have nothing wrong with teams refreshing or rebranding, but when you have something as solid as this, keep it around as long as you can. And I'm glad that the hops have. I'm with you. I, uh, I can't pick out, uh, any ones at that level that are better than that. I'm not sure I could pick out any uh, in minor league baseball that are better than that either. Um, they're just two perfectly designed logos and stories and all of it. The one that I will also throw into that mix um, is another team in that same league. The Tri-City Dust Devils have been the Vineros for a while. Mm -hmm. Yep. which is a tribute uh, to migrant agricultural workers uh, who come through the industry or come through the region to work in the wine industry there. Uh, and not only is the name and the logo, the color scheme great, uh, but the character, the little guy that they got uh, as the, as the logo, he's fantastic. He's got, he's carrying a, a bunch of grapes. He's got a baseball bat over his shoulder. I love him. It's just a fantastic uh, identity. And that's one of the best ones also. Um, there are a lot of really good ones at, at high a, I feel like low a, for me this year, low A was the toughest for me to choose from because there are a bunch at the low A level that I really like. But Sam, what are you going with? Yeah, so for this one, I'm just going to lean into because it's a very Sam pick um, in in a way that like if anybody knows me away from baseball, I'm a big lemonade guy. Like I always have lemonade in my fridge. Uh, so this is Limonadas de Hill City, which is the I was, was going to grab this team. So this is yeah. fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. And their logo is again just a sugar skull, but it the head is a lemon that's been popped off, but it's also a sombrero. Uh, and you so have to check it, it out, <laughs> right? You're like you're looking at it. It's awesome. I have not told any lies here, but it's also just a little crazy. Uh, and the the skull is biting a straw in a way you would like bite a rose if you were dancing. Oh. Ah, maybe. Oh, I like that description. Kind of. Yeah. It's, like and it's that. all yellow. The skull is yellow. There's some pink accents to it too. So if you're, if you prefer pink, pink lemonade, as I do, there's something here for you as well. It just, it fits really well. And they, they've named the character Senor Agriel, which is Mr. Sour. Mr. Sour. I like him. Mr. It's Sour. Uh, that one is great. It also makes me think of, you know, if you go not just in Latin America, you can go to neighborhoods, uh, you know, throughout the United States where um, street cart vendors are selling uh, limonada de coco or, you know, other various flavors of fruit juices and all that. I think the like most delicious beverage I've ever had in my entire life is walking around Cartagena, Colombia a few years ago and getting a limonada de coco from a guy at a cart in the old city. I think I paid something like 30 cents for it. Uh, and it was incredible. And I was wandering around like, is this, uh, is this real life as of right now? Is that, a, <laughs> is this a thing that I'm doing? Um, there are a whole bunch of other ones at the, uh, lowest level of the minor leagues, but certainly not the lowest level in our heart single a, uh, that I really, really enjoy. And you point out that one. Um, there are a bunch of teams that I think have, kind of figured out the sweet spot for their logos when it comes to Copa. Um, and they are in parts of the country where uh, you've got such diverse 
communities from your Latin American fan base. It's not just that, okay, over here on this side of the country, we've got mostly fans who have migrated from Mexico and here there's a lot of Puerto Rican fans or here, you know, whatever. Um, Teams that seem to have consulted with their local communities and come up with an identity that is uh, most accurately conveying the fan bases there. That's the stuff that I really like. And uh, at that level, there are some teams that have stuck with me for a while. And one of the ones that I really love is Delmarva. Um, Delmarva's uh, logo is the rooster, the Gaios of Delmarva. Um, and the rooster logo, and we talked about this in years past, really just looks like an old time, you know, Cuban or Puerto Rican uh, or Dominican baseball team logo. It's kind of the roundo logo with the the text around it. Um, and the logo itself is fantastic. That's one of the ones that I really dig and have liked uh, over their first few seasons. Um, this year, for the first time, uh, we have got a Copa entry from Augusta that is the Pavos Salvajes. And Pavos Salvajes, uh, according to the description, is a nod to South Carolina's official state wild game bird, the wild turkey. And it's such a well-designed logo, and it's so colorful and cool. And you might think, well, Augusta, that's weird is in Augusta in Georgia. Yeah, but that team plays uh, in a ballpark that is in South Carolina. Um, so that's kind of cool. And uh, I mean, really, man, you can go up and down the ranks at every single stop throughout the minor leagues. And there are just so many stunning identities that teams have come up with. One other one that I really like, um, I'd be interested to know what fans uh, in this area think of this logo as it pertains to Copa de la Diversión is the Fundadores of Fredericksburg. And they have a sugar skull version of George Washington. Uh, and it fits the Fredericksburg nationals It fits, but it's a fascinating combination of visual elements. You have the U S founding father uh, who is rendered in that way. And uh, Fundadores that translates to founders Um According to their summary, it, quote, ties Fredericksburg's place in American history with the team's plans to further celebrate and honor the growing Latin community. So some interesting stuff there as well. Um, but, yeah, man, that's like you can't go wrong. You really can't go wrong. No, and, and kind of sticking to what you're saying of like tying into the local area, two of my favorites from the California League uh, are the San Jose Churros. Because Very good one. We just talked a, about that before. A tribute to a legendary vendor at that ballpark, Churro Man. Yeah, right. And the Fresno Lowriders. Yeah, another great one. The the Grizzlies for a long time have tried to celebrate the low riding culture of, of that area of car shows and and bring it to the ballpark. And and it seems to have tapped in really well. I mean, we've had Fresno on in the past about like, tell us about what your area is like and, and how you guys are part of the community. And they seem to do that really well via Copa. Um, so low riders might not be something like it, it might not immediately come to mind of, Hey, this is something we want to honor, but it fits really well for, for that area. And it hits really well. It seems to be super popular. I've seen low riders hats out in the world too. The way we are talking about with the flying chonclas. Um, so it it's, if you can get that sweet spot in which everybody in the, the area gets it, but also people from outside the area are excited by it. I mean, this is exactly what this initiative is for. I am with you, man. Uh, you can get all the information on the new logos, the new identities, and of course, everything uh, from seasons past now returning for Copa here in 2023 at MILB.com slash Copa. And uh, with that, 
we will send it to uh, two teams that never existed and one that did as Josh Jackson stops by with Ghost of the Miners next. this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was a verified competitor in parts of three decades. The others have been unverifiable since the dawn of time. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Battle Creek No-Meats. B. The Longview Cannibals. C, the Montpelier Maple Suckers. I could just eat you up with a spoon if you picked B, the Longview Cannibals, who played in official minor league circuits for 15 seasons between 1912 and 1939. The Cannibals' nickname, however, purportedly goes all the way back to 1895, when Texas newspaperman C.B. Cunningham wrote in the Longview Times Clarion that the local team had eaten up the San Antonio missionaries. Thus, Cannibals. You never read about this team in Baseball Digest. <laughs> when Longview at long last got its first look at a codified, classified, organized, systemized minor league in 1912, representing the seat of the Lone Star State's Gregg County, it was as the Cannibals, and they came out hungry. They chewed their way to the top of the heap in the Class D South Central League, finishing with the best overall record, 63-51. and 51. But those chomping cannibals weren't champion cannibals, technically, as the Texarkana Twins won the second half title, and the first half went to the Cleburne Railroaders, who were derailed altogether, going bust before season's end. Longview was not in it just for the short term, though. Although the South Central League disbanded after that season of 19 and 12, the Cannibals came back for seconds about a decade later with the 1923 founding of a new iteration of the East Texas League. They had a seat at the table for all four of the circuit's courses, perhaps served with some fava beans and a nice Chianti, winning it all when the league's bill came due in 26. Managed by 40-year-old infielder Benny Brownlow, by then a Texas baseball legend, although he never played in the majors, that Cannibals club gobbled up both the first half and the second half title, ensuring the crown went down easy. <laughs> they roasted both of the Texarkana twins, made prey of the Greenville Hunters, put the Tyler Trojans on a kebab, and swallowed the Marshall Indians and Paris Bearcats whole in a single bite. Right-hander Elmore Bowman, who made two plate appearances as a pinch hitter for the Washington Senators back in 1920, led the league with 20 victories for Longview, making lambs of opposing hitters, then silencing them. 
cannibals waited a long while for another satisfying meal. In 27, with Brownville still at the head of the table, they moved over to the Lone Star League, but withdrew by the end of May. They tried to tuck into the newly reborn East Texas League in 31, but it closed its kitchen to all comers after the Cannibals had been served only seven games. Playing in the Texas League, Dixie League, West Dixie League, and back for thirds, another iteration of the East Texas League, our Cannibals nibbled about in the 30s as partners of the St. Louis Browns, then Chicago White Sox. Although in 36 they went 86 and 64 as a Chicago affiliate, getting a league best 24 homers from future Chi Sox contributor Mervyn Connors, Longview never won another championship. And that's how the Cannibals died of starvation. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these botanically bent ball clubs took to the field in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Spokane Bunchgrassers. B, the Bowling Green Bluegrassers. C, the Chino Coyote Brushers. Want to know the answer? Yank some weeds. Or tune in for the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill was just insulted on a pogo stick, and he's hopping mad. goodbye on this week's episode of the show before the show i'm going through such withdrawals man the world baseball classic being over like i'm very excited for opening day obviously but i gotta wait a week for that what am i gonna do what am i doing now for the next week i mean there there are highlights there are yeah. ways you can re- revisit it mlb the show 23 is out okay now that i might do and yeah. i did tell my fiance the other day like so um as kind of a present to myself for making it through the classic i might buy a ps5 in the show <laughs> if you do that you know who you have to play yes yes all right well i know what i'm doing this weekend oh man i got <laughs> you know what actually this ties into something really well that i told ben the other day you can make your own jerseys Oh, that's true. Literally right up your street. But you know whose jersey you could make? The Austin Knights. That's correct. That That is is correct. uh, Mighty tempting now. Mighty tempting. The Um, fun thing to do, and we'll have to do this if you get it, when you get it. Let's stop saying it. Yeah. Because come on. you When I get it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We'll have to design the things separately. And see what we come up with? Oh, I love it. Compare it. I, I dig. I dig yeah. very much. Like what our visions are for the nights. You're gonna blow me out of the water. I know this. Eh, like, I don't know. Better at the, all this stuff. And I have I have good ideas in my head. I never know if they translate at all. <laughs> I'm just not patient enough with that that builder. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I uh, very early on in COVID, I did. Um, I designed some uniforms of like, you know, old defunct teams. Like I'm here in Denver. I designed a a Denver white elephants uniform uh, that actually, if you Google Denver white elephants and you click on the image results, one of the things that comes up is the uniforms that I made on the show, which is kind of funny. Um, But yeah, sometimes like that was very therapeutic for me in the early days of COVID when I had nothing else to do. Now I'm wondering like, hey, am I going to am I going to sit and be able to do this? So I guess we'll see. I guess we'll learn very soon. Yeah, I know. You're looking to be entertained until <laughs> opening day. I just gave you an assignment. Like, you did. Uh, that is true. And I appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, now I'm excited about this and I have to go break the news to Beth and I'm going to be buying a PS5. Um, get in touch by with the, the way, show. The show is not sponsored by Sony. <laughs> 
Or MLB but show if they wanted we to, yes. we certainly would not turn it down. Nope. Um, you can get in touch with this podcast at MILB.com. Uh, and of course, make sure to check MLB Pipeline for all of the latest coming up on uh, the 2023 season prospect uh, rankings, farm system rankings, all that stuff out. Sam is actually going on the network tonight to talk farm system rankings by the time this is out. That video will already be out. You can go find Sam's sweet, smiling face all across the internet. And uh, that'll do it on this week's episode of the show before the show. Episode 400 coming up next week. We'll talk to you then.